Kids, we hope you have a wonderful time in the back. If you're remaining in the room, I'd encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25 in your copy of God's Word. If you don't have a copy, you can follow along, of course, on the screens or in the bulletin. Um, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to start um, a new sermon series on the life of Jacob. And uh, if you look in the book of Genesis, you'll discover that uh, there's a very large section in the book of Genesis uh, that is devoted to Jacob and to his story. And that means he becomes a very foundational character um, through the history of Judaism, through the history of Christianity. If you look throughout the Old Testament, he's quoted often. You go to the New Testament, uh, he's quoted often. And so he becomes uh, a very important figure. In fact, uh, it is from him and his story uh, that we get the term Israelite from that becomes, of course, very important in the history of Christianity and Judaism. So we're going to spend some time looking at his story, but one of the things that you'll uh, very quickly discover about Jacob is uh, he, was, uh, he had difficult relationships, we can put it that way. Uh, he had difficult relationships, of course, with his family. Um, much of that difficulty was uh, self-imposed. Uh, he had a tumultuous relationship with his father, um, with his extended family. Um, he had a very difficult relationship with his twin brother. In fact, the, the scriptures tell us that they were uh, struggling together in the womb before they even came out. So that's some foreshadowing as to what his life was going to be about. So as you look at his story, there are lots and lots of family struggles here. But one of the things you discover as you keep reading and will discover uh, throughout the, the series is that later in his life, he moved his struggles away from his struggles with his family, and really, he struggled with God towards the end of his life. But maybe even that isn't true. Maybe it is true that he actually struggled with God for the entirety of his whole life. Maybe the struggle with God was really behind all the family struggles and all the, the earthly struggles that he engaged in. And as you think about it, maybe the same is true uh, for you and I as well. So take a minute and think about whatever it is that you're struggling with in life. We all have struggles. What is the thing that you're struggling with in life right now? Maybe it's a a health issue, maybe it's a, a work issue, maybe it's a family issue, maybe it's an issue with uh, a friend that you have, and all you want in that situation is um, for it to be resolved. You want resolution, you want peace, but no matter how hard you've tried, and maybe that struggle's gone on for decades, no matter how hard you've tried, you just can't find that peace or resolution. Now, for those of us who, who believe in a God who is sovereign, and we just sang all about that. It was a theme in a lot of our songs this morning. For those of us who believe in a God who's sovereign, we believe that God's in control of all things and is powerful enough to change anything, to resolve and bring peace to anything. So that creates a bit of a tension for people of faith as well. Why doesn't God change that circumstance that I'm struggling with? Uh, why doesn't he change that person's heart that seems so hard or difficult? Why do these things happen to me or to those people whom I love? And so for many people of faith, our earthly struggles can very easily translate into uh, a faith struggle 
or a struggle with God. Maybe we aren't just mad at that person or that circumstance, but maybe behind it, if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle with God. Maybe we're even mad with God over our circumstance. And that's why I think Jacob's story is so helpful for us. It shows us how we as people of faith can wrestle with the realities of our faith and even at times how we can wrestle and struggle with God himself. And so to start our series, we're going to look at Genesis 25. I'm going to be reading verses 19 to 34. Then we're going to skip ahead. Don't worry, I'll try to summarize what's in the middle. Then we're going to skip ahead to Genesis 27 and read verses 41 to 45. This is God's word. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if, thi- if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his, with, with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright right now. Esau said, I'm about to die. For what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now skipping ahead to Genesis 27, verses 41 to 45. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, behold, your brother of Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? This is God's word. Let's pray. 
Father, we're so thankful for uh, this gift of worship, Lord, and all that it entails, the singing of songs, the reciting of, of uh, psalms, the ability to confess our sins to you, to own up to who we are, and to be refreshed in your grace. And Lord, we're also thankful for the power of your word, Lord, and we've just read a story that happened thousands and thousands upon thousands of years ago, and yet it's eerily and oddly similar to many of the circumstances we face in our lives today. So Lord, we pray that your word, which is living and active, um, would do its work on our hearts this morning. Be with us as we meditate upon it. Uh, Speak through me, Lord, to um, affect hearts, Lord, an an imperfect vessel to affect hearts, Lord, and to change us more and more into your image. So we commit this time to you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So if you've never heard of Jacob's story before, or if this is the first time you've heard it, um, you've already realized uh, some things about the character of this man. That is that he is not one of the most virtuous people that you will find in all of the Bible. In many ways, he is a scoundrel through and through. From start to finish, he manipulates, he hustles, he deceives, he does everything he can to get ahead and to get what he wants. We know people like this, of course. But what's so surprising about his story, the shocking part even, is that he consistently receives the blessing of God. The blessing of God continues to fall on this man who we would call a, a deceiver and a scoundrel, even though he's manipulative, even though he's conniving, even though he is deceptive, God's blessing continues to follow him. Now, this sort of uh, manipulation and deception uh, was true back then, and it's also true, it's a normal part of our lives in this world today. And it happens in both big and small ways. We, at times, deceive and manipulate in big and small ways. And we know what it's like when we're victims of being deceived or manipulated, and we don't like it. We, of course, do it in our own manipulation of people and circumstances. We try to be our own gods. We want to take matters into our own hands and engineer circumstances for our own gain. We all have that temptation. We also have the temptation to deception, to really reject the truthful character of God and instead of spreading truth and defending the truth, we often spread lies in both big and small ways. There, of course, is the big stuff that we know about, things like adultery and and tax fraud and insurance fraud that are very clearly, um, very clearly deceptive. We've all, over the past couple years, learned about fake news, right? Which is news that is deceptive. I read this week that that fake news is uh, spread six times faster than real news on the internet. And so how do we figure out truth from falsehood, even when it comes to the way we think about uh, the news? And so this happens all the time in both big ways and a million little ways. Imagine for a minute that my my wife has to run an errand after dinner, and she asks me to sort of clean up the dishes after dinner, and of course I sit on the couch and procrastinate until I hear the car coming back, and then what do I do? I hop off the couch and I go in the kitchen and I act like I've been slaving in the kitchen for 20 minutes. What have I done? It's a little tiny deception, of course, in a completely hypothetical situation, right? So we do these sorts of things all the time. Read an article this week that uh, 
that 55% of people lie on their resumes. Did you know this? 55% of people lie on their resumes. Um, Some have said, you know, I went to Stanford thinking no one would ever check whether they actually went to Stanford or not. Um, And there's little ways where people just embellish this little thing about themselves and that other thing as well. Often we do things like deception by omission. Have you ever been guilty of that? Right? We might just not share every detail about a circumstance. We leave out little important things in order to appear a bit more favorable than others. So in big and little ways, deception is everywhere, and it really is the theme of our passage this morning. If you go a little bit further into the background, and our passage alluded to this as well, but if you could turn further back in your Bibles, you'd get to Genesis chapter 12, and really in Genesis 12 to 15, we learn about God initiating a, a covenant, initiating a relationship uh, with the patriarch named Abraham. Uh, God promises to Abraham to make a great nation out of him um, and includes all other promises for this man, Abraham. Of course, we know that Abraham struggles to see those promises realized because his wife is barren until later um, in their lives. They're unable to have children until a very old age. And yet it was at that moment that God fulfills his promise to Abraham through the birth of a son whose name is Isaac. So God continues to bless this family, providing a wife named Rebekah for Isaac and really affirming to Isaac the very same promises that God made to Abraham as well. We started reading in our passage this morning that Rebecca becomes pregnant with twins and we're told that immediately, even in the womb, these twins uh, struggled with one another. They wrestled even in the womb. But then God said something very bizarre, and I don't know if you caught it in the reading of our passage this morning, but he declares while they're still in the womb that his special favor will be with the younger son and not the older one. Now that might not seem weird to us, but in the ancient Near Eastern culture, uh, the emphasis, the blessing, would always be placed on the eldest son. That was the history of the area, it was the history of God's dealing with his people, and yet God says, giving no real reason why, that this was going to be different. He just simply declares it. And so the two sons are born, and we learn they can't be any more different from one another. It says that that Jacob was quiet. He preferred dwelling in the tents. He was a bit of a homebody, while Esau was a man of action. He was in the field. He was the the hunter-gatherer, a man of uh, the wilderness. What we learn really quickly is that Isaac, dad, favored Esau, the hunter-gatherer, while Jacob was clearly favored by his mother, Rebecca. So there's all sorts of favoritism that's going on here in this family. And so you take all that favoritism and you add in this deception and it leads to all sorts of struggle and pain for this family. And there's two instances of deception that we read in our passage today. In Genesis 25, it tells about Jacob stealing of Isaac's birthright. Of course, Jacob was an opportunist, manipulated situations for his gain, And we learn that Esau comes in from the field. Twice he says how exhausted and hungry he is. He begs his 
brother for some food and Jacob sees an opportunity. He begins to plot and Esau agrees to give up his birthright in exchange for some food. I don't know about you, but I've always read this story and I've thought, well, Esau doesn't seem to be the brightest bulb in the bunch here. When it comes to this circumstance, this seems kind of bizarre, um, but it is a significant moment because the birthright, which would often go to the eldest son, meant that that eldest son, upon the passing of the father, would uh, have all the leadership of the family, and it also meant that they would get a double portion of the inheritance. A double portion of the estate would go to that eldest child. And so this was the ancient custom. It was true of all firstborn children. So it was a very big deal. And here, what does Esau do? He gives it all away just for a meal. So that was the first instance. The second instance comes later, and we sort of skipped over some of the details. So I'll try to summarize, because mom is involved in this one. Rebecca is involved. And the time has now come in this family for the father's blessing. And if the birthright had to do with leadership and finances... The blessing was all about the the sort of spirituality of it all, the the religious blessing of the family. It had a spiritual tone to it. What we learn is that Isaac, the dad, has difficulty seeing, so he has to rely on all of his other senses. And Jacob decides he's going to capitalize on this, so he dresses up like his brother. He intends to smell like his brother as well. And in so doing, what we learn is that he steals his father's spiritual blessing. And so if you're keeping track, Jacob has now stolen just about everything from Esau. He's stolen his leadership position, he's stolen his finances, he's stolen his spiritual blessing, and because of all of these uh, deceptions and all of this theft, you can just imagine the family issues this presents, and of course the carnage that that ensues because of it. Esau just sorts, sort of figures out everything that's happened and declares that he hates his brother, that he's going to kill his brother the minute the opportunity presents itself. Jacob learns of this plot. Rebecca learns of this plot. They recognize the threat, and together they decide that Jacob has to flee. He has to go away. And so this is uh, certainly the consequences of all this uh, deception. Jacob has to leave the protection of his family. He becomes a fugitive from his own home, from his own family. He becomes exiled and estranged. And one of the sad parent moments is the reality that Rebecca, who dearly loves this child Jacob, will never see her son again as a result of all this. This is the carnage of manipulation and deception. And this isn't new. This has always been the case from the very beginning. Think all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. They're in the garden, and what we read about is that they are deceived in the Garden of Eden. That's where deception really began. Adam and Eve chose to believe a lie instead of God's truth. They wanted to be their own gods. They wanted to control their own circumstances rather than submit to God. And so that deception, that original deception, gave birth to the very first sin. And after that sin, when they're visited by God, Adam and Eve themselves become 
deceivers. They blame shift. They dodge the culpability of what they have done. They twist God's word. They try to manipulate the situation rather than own the blame for themselves. They become the deceivers and then there are consequences and carnage that ensue for them as well. They become exiled from the Garden of Eden. They're estranged from their once perfect relationship with God. They begin to struggle with God and to struggle with each other. This, friends, is where all our struggles began. This is where all mankind's struggles began. You and I, the struggles that we're locked into day in and day out, all the earthly struggles are all rooted in this moment and ultimately rooted in mankind's struggle with God himself. But what's so amazing about the Adam and Eve story is that despite all of that, despite all that, God still chooses to bless them. And what it shows us is that grace is always going to take center stage in God's story with humanity. It started with Adam and Eve and it will continue on throughout all of history. That's what makes this story about Jacob so remarkable. How could a scoundrel who deceives and lies and cheats and steals, how could this scoundrel receive the blessings of God? Don't you expect God to step in at some moment to correct the injustice? But he doesn't. Instead, the blessing always remains with Jacob. Why? We don't fully know. Just part of God's plan and part of God's graciousness. That's why we do know that Jacob's story is a story of grace. Just like Adam and Eve's, it's a story of grace just like ours as well. And of course, the greatest blessing of all would come in the person of Jesus Christ himself. One who came to die. We just declared it in our affirmation of faith. One who came to die so that we who were exiled and estranged because we've believed in the lies and become deceivers, so that we who are exiled and estranged could be brought home. Jacob, our main character, he's about to head into a difficult time in his life. He's about to head into a barren time in his life, a wilderness period, if you will. If you've been around here at City Church long enough, we've talked about that before. And in many ways, I've never thought about that this before, but in many ways, um, this, he, is, he becomes what we learn in the Gospels about a, a prodigal son of sorts. If you turn to Luke's Gospel, read the parable of the prodigal son who left his family to go out, and in many ways, Jacob becomes a prodigal son here in this story. But if you remember the prodigal son story from the Gospels, you'll know that the son at some point recognized his error and he returns to the father. And what the story tells us is while he was still a long way out, he sees his father running towards him. Which means his father was looking for him every day for him to return and to come back. Well, Jacob isn't there yet, but he will be. And though he doesn't realize it, God is going to be with him every single step of the way, pursuing his heart, pursuing his affections, pursuing his faith. Friends, in your struggle, it might feel like whatever it is you're struggling with, in your struggle, it may feel like God is far away. 
You might feel a little bit angry, maybe even a little bit bitter towards God, but know that he is still with you every single step of the way. My wife has been following a story online about a a mom who's dealing with a a very difficult circumstance. Uh, She has um, two sons, there are two children, and the older son who's 14 is dying of cancer. There's nothing really the doctors can do at this point. Um, And she's a woman of faith, and and, uh, to her credit, she's been um, very vocal about her own faith struggles in the midst of her very difficult circumstance, very honest about how she's felt and how it's impacted her faith. And she wrote this uh, just this week. She said, while I'm finding it hard to talk to God without being angry at him, I do pray he continues to bless us with more time together and for help. The days are rough and the nights are long, but each time the sun rises and we make it through another day, it's a gift of time and I'm grateful for each moment we share, even though the the moments rip my heart out. See, here's a story of a woman who is struggling with her circumstances. She's bold enough and insightful enough to recognize that ultimately her struggle is with God. And yet she also recognizes that despite her anger and bitterness towards God, he still, he still blesses her with his grace. It's a beautiful picture of the struggle that we're going to look at over the next couple weeks in the life of Jacob. It's a beautiful picture of the struggle of faith that often you and I wrestle with day in and day out. But ultimately, it's a beautiful picture of the power of the gospel and a God who pursues after us with his relentless grace. Let's pray.